Welcome to episode 83 of Auto Off Topic. Almost up to Andrew's favorite number, 84. That's right. Almost. How are you this evening, Andrew? I'm good. How are you? Or this morning, depending on when people are listening to the show. Well, we're recording it in the evening, so I guess oh, it's I evening I'm for us. I'm just trying to be, you know, multi-inclusional here for everybody. How are you doing on today? This time of day when you listen, sir. At or madam. 8 o'clock. Yes. <laughs> that would be cool if we could insert that in somehow. Whenever you play it, it changes a different time. Wow, this is good. What is good? The beer tonight? Well, you brought uh, a couple beers. What do you have? Yeah, uh, I went a little buck wild at the liquor store tonight. You had... I have a Commonwealth Brewing. Which really threw us off because we have Commonwealth of Massachusetts. Correct. We're technically not a state. We're a Commonwealth. Right. And it's called Big Poppy. The the beer is called Big Poppy, yes, which is obviously what we call... The famous... called the famous baseball player. The famous Red Sox slugger. David Ortiz. Yes. Um, However, Commonwealth Brewery is apparently in Virginia. Yeah, and they probably just call it Big Poppy because it's a fun name. Right. No relation to the Red Sox player. But was it double IPA? It was really good. It is double IPA. Yeah, it's delicious. Because as you are aware now, a double IPA doesn't taste anything like an IPA. No. They go down a lot smoother than an IPA. I never liked IPAs, and then I was turned on to East Coast IPAs, which are way better than West Coast IPAs. Yeah, they're less sharp. Fact. Yep. That's a true fact. They're just not as, like... Hoppy. Yeah. What, it's hoppy. It's people hoppy. call it dank, because it basically... I don't like that word. It's stupid, because they're, like, comparing it to weed, but... It's hoppy. It's hoppy. Yeah. Overly hopped, I find, West I, Coast IPAs. Most double IPAs, though, are smoother than an IPA. Because they end up with more alcohol. I just think that double it, IPA times two cancels out IPA. I don't know how they're made exactly, actually. I don't know either. I know. They make it twice, apparently. I know that one has 8%. Yeah, you know, I didn't notice the alcohol content of it, but yeah, it is pretty strong. It's an 8%. Yeah. And the other beer I brought is 9.9%. Yeah, so. and I've already had, <laughs> you haven't, but I had one before you got here. Okay. And then we had dinner uh, that my wife made, which uh, if you follow Steph's Ugly Kitchen. Yes. Because we have a kitchen with carpet, so it's called Steph's Ugly Kitchen. And mirrors. And mirrors. Um, it's very 80s. But it's not like cool 80s. It's really ugly 80s kitchen. Actually, I don't think there's any cool 80s interior design. I mean, I it's think... ironically cool. It's like a hipster. You have like a hipster kitchen. Yeah. You have a yellow, yellow sink. The, that's the only cool part of it. Styrofoam brick walls. Yeah. Regardless, you made dinner for us, and then we had beer, and then I gave you some of the ginger that we got from Portugal, Yep, which is like a sour cherry liqueur. A very small amount. Yeah, because it's super strong and doesn't... You think, like the way it smells, you're like, this is going to taste like cough syrup. It does not. It's so sweet and good. You think you're going to get like a Jägermeister type thing, and it's way better. So yeah, I've had a couple... So other than the Commonwealth, which you drank faster than I did because you're a couple beers and a couple <laughs> drinks in, so you're on the on, you're on the wagon here. Oh, I'm having fun. down quick, yeah. Oh, so I already cracked into the Sunday paper, which is the Imperial Stout. <laughs> That's why it's so strong, because it's Imperial, yep. with coffee. So those keep me up. And that's from Barrington Coffee. And going Barrington. Well, Bar- Barrington in... Coffee oh, is Framingham. a bean company. That's Framingham Mass. And the brewery So this one is, is local. Um, yeah, the brewery is Exhibit A Brewing Company, and Barrington Coffee is the coffee in the Imperial Stout. I've never heard of it, but it is very, very good. Well, there's so many microbreweries popping up all over the place now, it's really hard to keep track of them. And I love me a uh, a good stout with yep. coffee in it. That is why I brought this one tonight. It's probably my favorite. Yeah, I went a little while at the liquor store. There were two four-packs, and they were like $15 each, but it's worth Sometimes it. Sometimes well, the microbrews cost that. Yeah, well, it's worth it to support local and to drink really good beer, so... 
Yeah, because what did I have before this was... Plus, you guys made dinner, so I figured I saved enough money not buying dinner tonight. Yeah. It was Maui Brewing, I think. It was a coffee pourer. I think I gave you one. Coffee Kona or something Coffee Kona, something like that. I think I gave you one the other night. I had one before, yeah. Yeah. That's all right. And the last couple nights, I've been having one of the Voodoo Ranger. Is this now Andrew's... Andrew's Alcohol History podcast. I'm just saying what I've been drinking le- <laughs> lately. Voodoo Ranger was pretty good. I think I had one of the... I think we talked about that in the last That podcast. was an IPA as well. That was also an IPA. Yeah. East Coast, I believe. I don't know where it's from. It's delicious, though. It was good. It's not... I've been coming to the dark side of IPAs. The light side of beers. Because stouts are the dark side to begin with. It's true. Can. It's true. I feel like the light side would be like, hey, guys, have you tried Budweiser? No, that's the dark side. <laughs> Um, even though it was late, <laughs> uh, well, actually I was at the, at the bar the other night at the, um, for local listeners, Kokeshi is our, like a ramen noodle bar here in Salem Yeah, or here in the North shore. It's in Salem and they don't serve any, you know, big brand beers. They have all microbrews on tap and everybody at the bar laughed at the patron when he went up to them and ordered a Bud Light. It's <laughs> always fun. I know that was and like. Then he asked what they have, and they start listing things off, and like the look of confusion washes over his face, and he orders a Jack and Coke. <laughs> yeah, that was always like um, we used to go to uh, Boston Beer Works. Yeah, well, Salem Beer Works usually. It's Salem Beer Works, same but thing, Boston yeah. Beer Works, same company chain, and they made, and they've been making their own beers for twenty years now. Yeah, they pre- they predate the current cra- the current craze of micro- so beers. it was funny because you'd always be in there, especially Halloween because it's so touristy here, and we'd be down there and somebody'd be like, "I want a Bud Light," yeah. and you know, they're like, "Uh, we don't have that." Like you can, you can just, have a North Shore Light. Yeah, you can just tell they're disdain because they have to explain this all the time that they yep. don't have Bud Light <laughs> and they have their own. But anyways, anyway, welcome to the auto off uh, beer off topic podcast. Hey, eh, we have a lot of crossover <laughs> when you're. At home, relaxing, not driving. People no, enjoy microbrews. I enjoy many beers when wrenching. That's right. And then you're not going to drive anywhere. So, yes. Correct. Yes. No, where you do not encourage drinking and driving, it's clearly a bad idea. Which we did a bunch of wrenching this weekend. We did a lot of wrenching this weekend. Um, all of my stuff. So, I need to uh, thank you for sacrificing your weekend wrenching for helping me with my stuff this weekend. Oh, yeah. yeah. Although, I guess it's collaborative at the it's end. It's coming. Because we help each other out with ranching on things. It's this coming. weekend is my weekend. I got a bunch of stuff to do on mine. The next so. weekends are all my weekends. <laughs> um, yeah. So, we started the weekend working on... Well, you started this, and we talked about it last podcast. You I had the Raider, the Raider yeah. breaks apart because they weren't working. I think I had working. them back together, but didn't have the lines run yet. They didn't have the drums on. Correct. We decided I needed new drums. I didn't think I needed new drums. Because they weren't really scored really bad on the inside. There were no, like, high ridges or anything. But, unfortunately, in taking them off, I had to beat them with a hammer because New England and the car gets driven in the wintertime. That didn't that didn't have any holes to put threaded bolts in to push it them off? It did, but it didn't help on one side. Oh, they were all rusty? Yeah, it was all hung up together. I like the Mirage didn't have any at all. We had to cut the drums off the Mirage. Yeah. That was awful. And, actually, the replacement drums for the Raider did not have bolt holes in them. Nope. And I specifically was looking at pictures of all the different brands online, trying to find ones that did have the bolt holes because they make it so much easier to remove them. Yes. But I couldn't find any that had them that were in stock anywhere. So I had to go with blank ones. Yeah. Anyway. With any, luck, with any luck, I'll never have them off again. Yeah, the so. way drum brakes last, 
hopefully they're not yeah. touching. For all I know, those are the original drum brakes. And on the back. Thing. Yeah. Um, so anyway. Oh, that's fun, too. Like, drum brake hardware. Isn't that the best thing in the entire world? Yeah. Reassembling drum brakes. Oh. Or, like, trying to reassemble, like, a watch. Yeah. And <laughs> it's like... Well, and way more tension and, like, way more yeah, poke at your eyeball danger. The only... Uh, advantage is that they're not, they're much bigger than a watch. So you're not yeah. working with tiny parts, but it's like all these springs and levers and yeah. Well, it's like clamp onto this and stretch it as hard as you can, and then when your vice grip lets go, you run your hands underneath the pinch weld in the body and slice your arm off. Oh, pretty much <laughs> is what happens. So they're yeah. awful to work with. Um, yeah, getting it back together was a nightmare. I think I talked about that already, though, so I'll gloss over that. I'd hate to have another repeat episode where I talk about the same thing <laughs> twice, like what I described my, forget. my drive down 95 and paying the high tolls that To time. be fair, I, we don't – I listen to the audio, like, for a little bit. I'm like, all right, the audio is cool, and then I ship it. I don't think I anybody don't... listens to their own podcast, do they? I don't. That'd be weird, wouldn't it? I think it would be weird. Like, I mean, I've listened to spots of it to, like, again – hear the quality or show somebody a certain point of it but yeah. i've never like downloaded and listened to a whole episode no. maybe we should download to get our numbers up <laughs> just download on all our devices yeah. and different accounts <laughs> so i wouldn't really do that there's no, no. uh there's no double voting around here so you had the the drums are back on but the, but the drums line back on. the lines we wound were up cutting the lines off of the old wheel cylinders oh, they weren't coming apart because w- a they probably weren't coming apart and B, the lines looked kind of sketchy anyway. They were really scaly, and I was afraid that eventually I'd just step on the brakes and I'd just blow through a line. I think definitely the one that ran along the axle and over it was, like, real bad. It was real bad. But I think that truck was used at some point to pull a boat It was here. It was used to pull a boat. I don't know if it was put in the ocean or not, but... Yeah, it was probably dipped in water. Yeah, a lot. So, unfortunately, it was pretty uh, pretty scaly back there. In fact, when I took off the old line, when I kind of folded it up a little bit to throw it in the trash, it didn't fold. It just snapped everywhere I started folding it. Yeah. So, so. like I noticed, so I, you started this while I was on vacation. I came back. I worked on it with you on Saturday. Right. I went after the, there's a rubber hose. So, it's weird on this truck, but it kind of makes sense. They have one single rubber hose that runs from the. Well, you have a hard line, comes out of the master, yep. then a rubber hose, a single one, runs to the axle, and then it goes over to the driver's side wheel cylinder, which has two ports. It splits it there, and then shoots a line over to the passenger side, and that's where the bleeder is. Right, it's a single line to the passenger right. side, and there's no brake hose in the passenger side. Yeah. So there's only one flexible joint in the back of the car. It's kind of neat. Which and makes sense for an off-road vehicle, so you have less stuff to... Yeah. Get tangled but things. I got there and you hadn't separated the hard line from the rubber hose yet. Correct. And I was looking at it, I was like, it doesn't look too bad. So I sprayed it with uh, my favorite thing, which is Power Lube. Yes. I think it works way better than PB Blaster. Um, Official endorsement, Power Lube. I'm going to avoid all jokes and about it also, Power Lube being your favorite It's thing. called Power Lube. It's yeah. CRC Power Lube. <laughs> you can buy it at, like, Napa's. And it's, they sell it like that boys do now. It's pretty common. Oh, really? Yeah. I haven't found it anywhere else. But anywhere else, CRC products has it. Um, and it kind of smells minty. So I don't know if I'd go that far. It does. It, it doesn't smell like. It definitely smells better than PB Blaster. It smells better than PB Blaster and P- WD40. PB Blaster smells terrible. WD40 doesn't have much of a smell. It doesn't until it burns. PB Blaster. Oh. WD forty. If oh, you spray it on something, like if you're spraying it on the brakes and you get all the exhaust, oh, and you start the car up, okay. it burns off the exhaust and it has a pretty okay. stinky smell to it. Yeah. Official endorsement, power lube. I use it for work. Right. I use it for play. Unofficial endorsement. 
My official endorsement. No, it's an official endorsement when they pay us. It's, it's uh, an unofficial endorsement oh, okay. because you're just endorsing yes. them officially. Yes. You're unofficially endorsing their product. All right. But if you're looking for it, I think it's, trust me, I think it works better than PB Blaster. I think PB Blaster is overrated. Yeah, we've used it pretty much exclusively now. But it, And it's also clear. I bet it will also eat through a styrofoam cup just like PB Blaster does. Maybe. It's clear, though, too. I mean, it will stain stuff that, like, uh, like clothing, but with an oil stain, but, mm-hmm. like, it won't, like, stain stuff with that weird rusty color that PB Blaster has. Right. Unless it drips through rust and then onto something. Yeah. But whatever. Anyways. Yeah, no, I, I like Power Lube a lot as well. Anyways, I like to take, uh, you take the wire brush, you spray it with Power Lube on the brake line, mm-hmm. and I knocked off a bunch of rust as much as I could. I put the line wrench on there, turned it on. I like to go actually turn it to tighten it a little bit, and then Take back it off. It free a little. And it, it started to come off, and I was trying to spray it, trying to spray it. So you try to get that fitting to spin mm-hmm. on the brake line. But it was so corroded, and I knew, luckily, we were already going to replace it. I got it to a point. It started to turn in the fitting, and then it just snapped the line. Yep. But it, but it came out of the rubber hose, which is what was important. Which is important because I hadn't bought a replacement rubber hose, so yes. I hoped I could reuse it. Yeah. Because so, it looked in pretty good shape. Yeah. So. so that was cool. And then we used the, what are they, the nickel-plated lines? I forget what material they're made out of, but they're way more flexible. We used them on the spaghetti rally car. Yeah, you can you can literally bend them by hand. Like, we took out the... And they're rust-resistant. Yes, they don't corrode like yeah. a steel line does. Um, we took them... We took out all the tools to properly bend the lines. Like, we had tubing cutters and the benders, and, like, you know, I was trying to... Yeah, you do need tubing cutters, but... So I was trying to make the line, you know, match the other line, and I'm running it through the bender, and I was just like, this is a lot of work, and these lines were easy to bend. So I just started bending it by hand. Yeah, you can literally bend and them by hand. You can almost... Like, I put a picture up on the Auto Off Topic page today on the Instagram page, and you can see how much it's bent, and it looks like a factory line now. Yeah. And that's just 100% by hand. Like, it looks like I really know what I'm doing. To do a 90, the tubing bender helps so you don't kink it, but slight bends, you just do it by hand. Even with a 90, I was doing it by hand by the end, because you just run your thumb. I'm doing hand signals here, so Andrew can see, realizing that doesn't matter to you guys listening. But um, you run your thumb, instead of putting it across the pipe... I ran it like lengthways in the pipe, so it had more surface area for the pipe yeah. to bend around. And I easily made nineties without, without kinking them. I think they're nickel plated. Yeah, it's yeah. whatever it is. It's really nice when, when you go to the, the part store to buy new lines. There's they're the like regular goldish, steel lines, yeah. and there's the brownish copper colored lines. They're more expensive. They're but way buy those. more expensive. They're like twenty five dollars. I think I paid for yeah. the however long the section was, like a four foot section. Yeah. So they're they're a little pricier, but they last almost they last as long as you own your car. Yeah, and you can bend them by hand, especially if up here in the rust belt yeah. stuff. But really nice. Belt. Make sure they have the fittings that you need, and correct. then they'll fit. Actually, perfect. one of them didn't have the correct fittings because I don't think they had a short one in that. Right. Fitting. So we bought. It was cheaper to buy the short line we needed of the standard, and then buy the standard short line that had the proper fittings on it. Yeah. And then just change the fittings over. Yeah. Because the three sixteenth line is just three sixteenth line. It's not. Gonna be any different size. And then my dad has the Eastwood uh, hardline flaring tool. Right, which is like magic. Oh, it works so good. Yeah, it requires zero thought. Like, it was a. It's like I, numerically coded and color coded. Yeah. So you can't screw it I up. think it was a couple hundred dollars when it was new, but we've used it so many times that it's, it's definitely it, And it works itself. so good. Yeah, it makes a perfect bubble flare every time. 
So there's just certain tools that are like perfect. Yeah, no, that's that's definitely a good investment. Mm-hmm. I forget the actual name of it. I'd look it up, but my computer's not working down here again. So oh, it is always too far. Um, for whatever reason, it doesn't work. But yeah, that's a really good one. And then, so we bled it. It bled pretty well. It almost gravity bled. Almost. Almost. Once you once started, got, once it with you got the, it flowing with the power bleeder with the vacuum pump. Yeah. Vacuum pump. Excuse me. Once we got it flowing, it really just kind of we just kind of stood there for 15, 20 minutes and watched it till the bubbles went away. Yeah. Um, then we went to the front. You managed to break free the caliper um, bleeders. Yeah. So here's the other thing about it because the trucks again the trucks old. So, so they're pretty rusty. Um, your rubber lines are pretty dry rotted. Dry rotted. They'll get replaced eventually. Um, so if you've got really rusty brake caliper um, bleeders. Uh, if you can just forego a line wrench, so that's the other thing too. You should be using line wrenches. Pro tip: line 100%. wrenches. Yeah. Um, you can get cheap ones at Harbor Freight if you don't have them. Yeah, and they're fine because you don't put a ton of pressure through them. No. But if stuff is super rusty, so they were very, they were pretty, they weren't like crazy rusty, but they were pretty rusty. So I took power lube, a wire brush, sprayed the power lube, then the wire brush to knock off the heavy stuff. Yeah, same as the same as the rear hose. And then they're ten millimeter. I took a 10 millimeter six point deep socket so it fit all sides around it. Mm-hmm. And that's what I used to break it loose. Because sometimes, even with a line wrench, that open part will cause it to slip if they're really rusty. Mm-hmm. And just it, you just need that extra bit of having the closed socket around it no helps you break it free. Yeah. And. 12-point sockets are great because they give you a lot of options if you have a tight space. Yep, but they're not as strong. They don't have as much surface area, so they strip easier. Yeah, well, that's why you look at it, you know, you're looking at something that you use for, like, an impact gun. You're not going to find impact sockets, 12 points usually. Uh, unless you have, like, a 12-point axle nut that Toyotas use. Okay. Which is stupid. Maybe but in some cases, but in most cases, your six impact hardware is going to be much better. Six points. However, sometimes, like, I go to grab a breaker bar, and I can't get it in a good position to turn on it because mm-hmm. the six-point doesn't give me a good... You only have six points of... I only have six points, and yeah. the breaker bar doesn't have a ratchet part because you don't want to break the ratchet part when you really need to torque on something to get it free. Which, if you're listening to this show in California or Arizona... You're like, what are you talking yourself? about? Because you're you talking about any of this stuff. Yeah, you're talking about power lube and yeah. breaking rusted parts free? What yeah. is all this? He's <laughs> working on boats. What's going on yeah. out there? Now, this is all important stuff, like all little tricks that you pick up over the years to try to save rusted bolts, because that is the absolute worst. When you go to grab on a bolt... And it breaks. It starts to go, starts to go, and then yeah. you can feel the bolt break. Yeah, you know when it breaks, too. And it There's just no... goes... It suddenly goes from being really hard, it just goes soft. Yep. Or it just snaps really fast. Yep. It's the worst feeling. And you cut your arm off in the pinch welds, just like with the rear brake hardware. Yeah. Or the busted knuckles, or whatever you, uh, whatever phrase you use. Like, I did manage to get, on the rear axle, there was one bracket holding the brake lines. I managed to get that bolt out, and we reused it. Yep. The one on the other side was not coming. Yeah, the other two just shattered. There was nothing left of it. It was just... So. Unfortunately, the... Luckily, at the, mo- at the moment, the lines are zip tied to the axle. Well, that's fine because the line moves with the axle. Yeah, you just didn't want it bouncing around, right? So just I'll probably put something a little more permanent in there, like a metal strap, yeah. just a plastic zip tie. Yeah. But it's 
I mean, honestly, they're up out of the way. They're not dragging under the axle, which is, is important. A, you need them higher than the bleeders because... It's running along the axle. It's not bouncing yeah. up and down. It's probably fine the way it is. I'm sure it is. I wouldn't worry about it. But for my own peace of mind, I'm going to put a metal strap around them yeah. versus the plastic zip tie. Oh. All right. So anyway, we're talking about bleeding it. We got it to bleed pretty well. I got the fronts to bleed. Had a lot of fluid come out. Mm-hmm. I sucked out the extra fluid that was in the bottom was, of the reservoir. it was a little burnt. And it was like black, which yeah. is usually dirt, and it seemed kind of watery. And then sometimes the rubber deteriorates, and you get that black Mm-hmm. tint to it yes because brake fluid should be nice and clear and golden um like a good fresh, like, like a good bud light <laughs> yeah it should be like a good clean lager beer um not like a delicious porter right um yeah, they, look, they look like imperial stout yeah exactly it's not good uh it looks like actually it looked like like ink yeah it was really really black uh <clears throat> using the turkey baster to take it out um but it was it's weird because the it would pump up manually, and then you'd bleed it, and then you'd you'd. Well, it was like one pump; it was coming back, right? Yeah, Towards was, the end, yeah, probably two pumps would come back, yeah. But then it would just kind of go into the floor, slowly go to the floor, yeah. Yeah. So I think, I think we need a master. You think? Here we go again, folks. Yeah. Break woes in the auto off topic. There's not much else to it. There's definitely no air bubbles in yeah, it. Yeah, we said that a thousand times about the spaghetti rally car too. There's nothing else left. It can't be anything else. Well, However, what we're going for us now is this is all factory parts. Yeah. Whereas the reason that car wound up having so many issues is it was a Mark II, an early Mark II shell with late Mark II calipers or yeah. Mark I lines or and Mark III calipers and Mark I lines. It was just a ridiculous. It had lines run inside the body because you don't want them dragging on the ground. It was right. rally car stuff. Yeah, there's a lot more going on with that. These lines are pr- basically matching the root of the factory stuff, so mm-hmm. it should be Not fine. Not basically. Exactly. Yeah. So I ordered a master cylinder today. Yeah. It was um, $49 with a new reservoir. Yeah. So it'll be on, it should be on my desk, I was told, by 8.30 tomorrow morning. And the seals are probably gone so, out of it. There's rubber seals. That's probably what yep. a lot of that black stuff in the fluid was, just the seals yep. deteriorating. Yeah. So I just bought a bought a brand new one. Um, looks like there's only a few lines going into it because the master cylinder didn't look too rusty. I think we should be able to... Yeah, we'll spray the lines. Do yeah. what we do. Then you just... Brush them off, use the line wrenches on them. Yeah, it's definitely not the booster. Work them on, the work them off. Fine once it yeah. pops up, and it does. It will hold. It was holding nice and stiff, and, and then just slowly, slowly coming yeah, down. Yeah. So, but other than that, once the brakes are done, you're going to start driving that truck around a little bit. Yeah, shake it that's down the plan. daily. Do off road trips with it eventually. Yeah, but um, unfortunately, I think I'm going to wind up selling my Silverado. Um, back on that kick again. Yeah. Um, so I kind of need it as a daily for a little while. I'll probably buy another Silverado in the future, probably a yeah. gas truck because it's cheaper. Yeah. But, um, unimportant podcast things, some financial things. I need to move some things around a little bit and, um, I may want to doing that. So the Raider might be my daily again for a little while. Should shake it down for a couple of days or a week. First. Oh, I'm not going to do yeah. it immediately. I mean, I'm going to drive it, you know, drive it for a whole weekend all over the place. And then before I rely on it to get to and work. then what i think you should do it should be like a fun consumer thing buy the cheapest 31 inch off-road tires you can get i don't know about that 
No, I think that'd I be a fun to, test. I still need to drive on these things. <laughs> One of these terrible road tires. I don't think they'd be that bad. Like the cheapest, just test them out. Like the cheapest Chinese 31 well, inch off road tires. First, I need to go on the Montero forums yeah. and ask them what size tires I can fit with my stock suspension. Because <laughs> that's what you do. Get banned. Immediately banned. Because <laughs> um, you can do 33s, right? Probably triggering our, triggering our friend Frank Eck. Yes, that was the whole reason I said it. <laughs> Frank, I can put 35s on, right? Stock ride height? Yeah. Uh, yeah, I want to put a little oversized tire on it. The tires that are on it are winter, winter tires anyway. Little pizza cutters. But they're awesome for the snow. Yeah. So I want to keep them in good shape and not drive them all summer. I ran... All right, so my Silver Truck had stock size, but they're 29-inch overall. Mm-hmm. Now the 99s run in 31s. Mm-hmm. It looks real good because it's been... I still want pizza cutters, though. I want skinny tires. We'll be honest. The 99 spends a lot of time on pavement right now. So the 31s are pretty good. Uh, I believe the word is all of its time. We did a little off-road at NAFAR. That no. little trail. No. It was pretty muddy. Yeah. We drove with some grass. We're going to change that. No, there'll be a lot of that's off-road the, trips this year. That's the next thing you're going to help me with is the valve cover gaskets and skid spark plates. plugs. And then we'll put the skid plates on. Yeah. Which is actually I need to do on my truck as well. I need to drive out to... No skid plates. Former, list, former guest of the show... Uh, Eric Corrales, oh, yes. He's got he has a whole set of skid plates at his house. They're just in New York. Mm-hmm. So I need to make that trek out there and get them because they're too, kind of too bulky to ship. So yeah. it'll be a good weekend, hang out with them for a day and buy them some beer and have a have a burger and Maybe we'll take get you some surfing. skid plates. <laughs> I don't know about that. I mean, I'm sure he'd be more, more than willing to offer it. I just don't know about <laughs> me doing it. Um, but... Yeah, so that pretty much sums up where the Raiders at. It's getting there. Yeah, a little out of time. I don't have a ton of cash to throw at it all Is at once right now. Still, anyway, so. when you were starting it, was it still blowing a lot of blue smoke? Not it? really. I mean, it smokes more than a brand new car, obviously, but it smokes a lot less than it did before. It's days of yore. All right. Yeah, all right. no, it's it's definitely drivable. And once when you first start it, you get a little smoke out of it, and then once yeah, it warms up, it's pretty normal. Um, we do still have to, have to tune the carb, right? We had to tune the carb a little bit. It may just wind up buying a new one because that's a knockoff Chinese Weber on there. Yeah, get a real Weber. Get a Even real a Weber. Used one. Yep. Um, and we still have to fix the connection between the exhaust manifold and the exhaust. Oh, yeah. There's a little bit of a leak right it there. It sounds like a biplane. It, it does sound like an old radial engine biplane. Yeah, it's not great. Yeah. Um, so we got to fix that. That would make it a lot more um, pleasurable to drive. Um Drivability-wise, it's fine to drive it the way it is. The only thing I need to need to get is a turn signal switch. I believe several people have those for you that have offered. There's a few out there, yes. I just need to get one. Yeah. One of them is actually in Eric's garage, I think. Yeah. So we'll see what happens. But mm-hmm. there's a couple minor things. To get. Oh, I still need to buy the air filter and cap for the Weber filter because I'm still currently... I've lost it's, it. It's and a zip tied plastic and I got cover. A piece of plastic I cut to shape and zip tied to the air filter for now. I'm going to take an old uh, license plate that's sitting over there and I'm fashioning a cover for it. If that would have worked, I would have done it already, but it won't work. Sure, it will. The way they the way they clip on, there's no bolt that runs through them with a wing nut. It has these four clips that go around the base. No, no, we'd have to cut uh, a license plate to fit the shape. I still don't know how to clip it on though. Because the cap has these special channels for the clips to go into. Whatever. And I'm not zip-tying it anymore because I'm not that guy. I'm going to make it right. Figure it out. It's also $15. I'm just going to duct tape the whole thing and cover the whole filter element with duct tape. 
Perfect. <laughs> then I'm good for water crossing. Why won't this run? <laughs> Go through water, though. No worries at all. I mean, just snorkel. Just don't take it in the air. All right. But, yeah, so that's almost done. So that's good. Um, I'm actually excited about that because, like, while I was sitting in it when I'm bleeding the brakes, it's just, like, I enjoy the way that truck feels. Like, it fits me perfectly. They're kind of, they're pretty comfortable. Like, I feel at home in it. You know what I mean? Like, when you put your arm on the window, like, on the windowsill, and, like, you sit in the seat, it's, like, perfectly – everything is, like, ergonomically designed for me. I like driving my first gen around. It was a fun truck. Yeah. And I really like driving the short wheelbase because it feels like a top-heavy sports car. Yeah. And you can park it anywhere and turns on a dime, so it's a lot of fun. It's like a Wrangler. Have you ever driven a Wrangler? It's kind of the same yeah. short wheelbase. I'd like a... Uh... I mean, if I was going to beat around town, uh, the later, the 88, 89 with the V6 or the 89 the last year. But I don't want a long wheelbase. No, a V6 short wheelbase. Oh, okay. Because you get coil rear springs, you get the bigger tank, and you get the V6. Yeah, the bigger, tank, manual. Be, the bigger tank would be nice. Yeah. Because I have like a 12-gallon tank in that thing. and does not get great. Is it 12 gallons? Much. It's tiny. Yeah. Because I think they somehow managed to shoehorn in a 20 or 20... Well, the long wheelbase had a 24-gallon tank, so maybe mm-hmm. it's 20 gallons in a I short might even be the full 24. Yeah. Because the tank itself has just plenty of room in between the... doesn't have to go in between the leafs. It has uh, these coils that are yeah way up front, so the whole tank is behind the coil springs. Yeah. Whereas the leaf springs take a lot of real estate, where the truck's only, you know, 14 feet long, and you have four and a half foot long coil spring, uh, leaf springs. I don't know. They weren't that much... Long wheelbase is not that much longer. It's probably like a foot longer. It's a little bit longer than that. It's a good. It's a good amount longer than a foot. Yeah. When you park them side by side. That it's was funny whole... because I have AJ's short wheelbase in my driveway right now. Yeah. And I park my crew cab six foot bed Silverado next to it. It's basically to the end of the crew cab, right? It's like a toy. Yeah. It's so small. Like yeah. I go rear bumper to rear bumper, and like my truck is almost the. In- Almost the entire note, like the whole front door and fender is sticking out in front of it. That was all, um, I believe, all chicken tax stuff. What was? There was a reason they were going to raise tariffs on two-door import sport utilities in 88 to 89. Okay. And that's why suddenly we only got long long wheelbase four-doors. Yeah, probably. Because when I was in Portugal, there was a ton of second-gen two-door short wheelbase because mm-hmm. you need the space. Mm-hmm. There was very few. I saw very few four-doors. Which is funny because that tax was essentially to eliminate the foreign competition yeah. from the American trucks. Yeah. So they eliminated the short little wheelbase ones. Yeah. And then American trucks all became long four-doors anyway. Yeah. And so then, now the foreign import trucks are competing still in this country against the same size American And trucks. then companies like Nissan and Toyota just started building them here anyways. Right. So, like, you can buy a Toyota Tundra that's built in Texas. So, which I would, honestly, I was inside of, a, like, a new Tundra, like, not that long ago. Yeah, they're really nice. They're super nice. I was like, I, Although, after being inside a Ford and a Chevy, I was like, I've been in a brand new Ford or a Chevy. They're also really nice now. The newish ones. The brand, brand new Ford. Is and they're crazy money, gorgeous though. Gorgeous truck. But so are the Toyotas, so. Yeah, they're all crazy money. Trucks in general are crazy money, unless you buy a Frontier. Yeah. That's well, the only 20 years old. Yeah. No, they still make Frontiers, don't they? Yes. Yeah. But the design, the engineering in a Frontier is like 15 to 20 years old. Perfect. That's what I want. <laughs> so. I want a brand new old thing. Yeah. I mean, obviously, I wish they still made Xterras. But they don't. 
Well, not that you're buying one anyway. No. But I would buy, if I had to replace my Montero and I couldn't get a Montero, I'd get a Nextera. Next best thing. Yeah, just pandering to or Jordan. best thing. <laughs> well. They are basically uh, working on his Xterra and then working on a Montero. They're it's very a similar. Of, yeah. Not the modern, not even a modern version. A newer version of? They're very similar. Yeah. yeah. A version of with more modern amenities. And that's probably why I... It's probably a good thing that Nissan bought Mitsubishi. They're very close in the, the style of engineering and building. Mm-hmm. So it happened for a long time. Yeah. But anyway, what else do we work on? Uh, I thought you. I thought the blue car was a seventy four. I thought it was earlier. It is it's not late. My yellow car is a seventy four. Ah. Sedan is a seventy four. So they didn't sell. So the- your sedan does that not have cats? Because the seventy four. It does have a cat. Interesting. Wouldn't it in 74? 75 was the mandate. I haven't looked. I haven't, really paid. I haven't done much with that car. Yeah. It's kind of bought it and put it in storage because I have other stuff going on. Yep. I bought it because they didn't want to see it go to the junkyard, mm-hmm. basically. Because it only had 10,000 miles on it. <laughs> 10,000 original miles on it, and the guy was going to drink it. Yeah, exactly. Um, so, no. When, quick history lesson, think anybody cares? Go for it. All right. If you said... You're sitting if you're in your listening car to this podcast, and you're saying, I don't care, don't do it. Tough shit. Well, here it if goes. you're listening to this podcast, you probably care about so in Or you care about my opinion. That too. But probably not both things. Sure. <laughs> um, so in 1970, Chrysler needed a small car to compete with the onslaught of Japanese cars. Rather mm-hmm. than engineer one of their own, yep. they got into bed with Mitsubishi. Yep. And said, hey, you guys don't sell cars in the States. Would you like to? Here's the catch. We're going to label them as Dodges. Mm-hmm. Mopar so, or no car? Fopar or no car? Yeah. So Mitsubishi said, hell yes. And Dodge said, excellent. So they started bringing them over here in 1970. That car was a rebadged Mitsubishi Galant. Um. The first gen went from 70 to 73. Mm-hmm. They were all Galants. They did two doors, four doors, and wagons. Then the Galant was slightly upsized in 74, and it was still sold here as a Colt. However, it was a little bit bigger of a car. Um, except for the wagon. The wagon was still the same as the 70, but it had an updated nose to look like a 74. Weird. Yeah. So the Gallant was sold here until 1976, and then in 77, they went to a smaller base car for the Dodge Colt, which was the Mitsubishi Lancer. Mm. So 77, 78, and 79, the Dodge Colt was a Mitsubishi Lancer. In 79, they sold another Dodge Colt here, which was based on a Mitsubishi Mirage. (laughs) So in 79, you could get a Dodge Colt that was a rear-wheel drive, like my blue car, mm-hmm. or a front-wheel drive, like my brown car, ah. both in 79. You could also get a third Colt in 79, which oh, was based wagon? on the Gallant Sigma, which was a bigger car, more like a mid-sized car, same chassis as my Sapporo, but it was only available in the States in 79, badged as a Colt as a station wagon. So there were three Colts, completely Weird. different cars, but Weird. all badges Colt. Yeah. Which doesn't make any sense. But the Galant 
has always been the big car, the Lancer is the midsize, and the Mirage was the small one. Essentially, yes. Roughly. Yeah. And then they were all sold here at different times as Colts. Yeah. So that's weird. It is weird. Now, if you were... But in, in England, they were all sold as Colts, right? That was the, a brand? The brand wasn't Mitsubishi or Dodge. It was Colt. Yeah. So you went to the dealer and you bought a Colt Gallant or a Colt Lancer. Weird. Or a Colt Mirage or a Colt Starion. All right. So it was the make. Was the Colt. make was Colt, not weird. Mitsubishi. All right, but that's getting... So I then have... in 83, they started selling Mitsubishis in the United States. Yeah. But they still sold Colts. 83 or 82? 83. So by the 82, Mitsubishis did not make the States. I think it was... They came here in 82. They sold 83 they model 83 years. model years. Maybe yeah. they came here. Okay, maybe yeah. that's how it works. But yeah. the cars were 83s. So they still sold a Mirage as a Colt. But by 83, Chrysler had its own small car in the... Aries? Um, the K-Car, basically. The Omni. Yeah, Yeah. exactly. Omni, the Horizon. Yeah. So the Colt kind of became a less important thing to them. And they didn't really advertise it or push it as much because it wasn't their own car. But for some reason, they carried on making their own small car and importing their Mitsubishi small car as a Colt Mm -hmm. until like 96... Or 95. Up until the body style changed to the Mirage. They sold them here as Colts. And then when, to make matters even worse, when Chrysler rolled out the Eagle line, they also sold them as Eagles. Yeah. But instead of being Colts, they were called Summits. Yep. Just to confuse matters even more. And if you more. go back, I don't remember the episode number, we did a whole thing on badge engineering. Yeah, exactly. And Colt is one of them. Oh, I forgot. We'll go off of this real quick, but okay. when I was in Europe, there was a Outlander, which I don't remember, I don't know what the code is, the model code, but it's the body style that my dad has, so like a 2010 Mitsubishi Outlander. Yep. So it was 07 to 2011 was that body style. Okay. Uh, it was a Renault hmm. 407. That's interesting, but it was a Mitsubishi. And it had a different nose, different taillights, Renault badges all over it. Mm-hmm. But it was 100% Mitsubishi. Clearly not like Like I was looking at it, I was like, that vehicle looks familiar, but I don't understand the badges and the nose looks different. And I was walking down the street. Yeah. Well, you sent me a picture of it, I think. Yeah. And that's one. Same exact color as my dad's car, too. Yeah. And that's when I was like, well, have you ever heard of the newest one, which is called, in Mexico, you can buy a Mirage. That's badges of Dodge Attitude. (laughs) Weird. Yeah. So there's still this crazy, weird Chrysler... Mitsubishi, apparently Renault engineering going on. Yep. Uh, or just platform sharing Renault, or car sharing. Show, yeah. yeah. Everything, every car is a world car now, basically. Everybody so. dumps a Mitsubishi, but they sell a lot of their technology. They make everybody's everything. Yeah. They make turbos. They make alternators. Yeah. They make televisions. Um, they make everything. Uh, so anyway, so they carried on making the Colt until I think 95. Somebody will correct me if I'm wrong. Um but they made their own small cars, and the Neon is what pretty much killed it. Because Neon came out in, like, 93 or 94. Yeah. So they kind of ran out their contract with Mitsubishi and then just pushed the Neon as their small car. So along the way, there were other ones that are less important. Like in the early 80s, the Mitsubishi Expo, which was a little tiny minivan. The micro minivans. Was sold here as a Colt. Was also sold here as an Eagle Summit. Yep. The same name as the sedan and coupe. 
Eagle Summit, Mitsubishi, <laughs> Mirage, Dodge Colt. So I've been into these little crap cans for a long time, and it took a long time to get all that straight. Wasn't there? In fact, it's super frustrating buying parts for my 80 Colt because was... of the fact that it could. I got to make sure I'm buying the correct brakes for the Colt Mirage, not the Colt. So the brown car is an 80. Yes. Uh-huh, so it's just Radwood uh, eligible. Yeah, but it's metallic brown, so it's more 70s than 80s. I think. It'd be a fun Radwood car. It's kind of on the cusp. I don't it's know. Really, early, early Radwood car. I actually had a discussion with a friend of the show, a friend of mine, uh, Moises, who owns a Plymouth Arrow. Yeah. Which is another whole thing, which we're not getting into. The pickup trucks? Not the pickup truck, the hatchback. Oh, you get an Arrow pickup truck, right? Correct. And so, you're going to get a sedan? Oh, my God. No, a hatchback. Hatchback. Yeah. Was, but it was based on the Lancer, the 77 to 79 Early Lancers. Lancers. Yeah. But they sold the rear-wheel drive Lancer here only until 79, but they sold the Arrow here until 81. Yep. Even though it was based on the same chassis. So we were discussing if his car was technically Radwood eligible because it's a continuation car because they made them until 81. Yeah. And I told him his car probably is. 70s design, though. But he has very period mods on it. All right. I, he has like these deep dish wire 80s looking wheels and a chin spoiler. And like, it, it looks like it's something that was built in the 81. If you send it to the organizer, they'd probably be into it. That's the thing. That's why I told him. I said, we'll have to send it to one of the guys and see if it's cool. I'm sure they'll be They're cool. They're probably into it. So out of left field. Yeah. And they did make them until 81. So if it wasn't 81, they could. I, I, I can't stand here and say, yes, they're allowed in. But. I mean, if you told them it was an 81, like, what do yeah. they know? You know what I mean? It's not what do they know. They do know. But still, it's, I don't know. I, I, I think it's cool. I'm just throwing my hat in the ring for it's cool. So, yes, yeah, so I also sold the Plymouth Arrow as a sedan, sorry, as a hatchback that was based on the Lancer, like my blue car. Ah. But then during the same time they also sold the cars, they sold a pickup truck, the Mitsubishi Mighty Max. Mm-hmm. Or you bought it a Dodge dealer. Ram D50. It was a Dodge Ram D50. <laughs> or if you bought it a Plymouth dealer, it was a Plymouth Arrow truck. What was the D50? But that was only in the first generation of um, Mighty Maxes. By the oh. second generation Mighty Max, you could still get a Ram 50, but you couldn't get a Plymouth Arrow anymore. What was a Ram 50 like? A half-half ton? Well, a ton? at the time, the D100... Was the small full size? Oh, so that'd be a half ton. So I guess it would be a quarter ton truck. I don't know. Fifty. I don't know if it even is a quarter ton. I just know that their marketing is probably like, well, it's not a D one hundred, so we're going to call it a D fifty, uh, which is strictly marketing. But the one to get is the Plymouth Arrow sport truck. It's the one with the sundown stripes. Uh, right? They came with sundown stripes. They came a couple of different ways. That was one of the ways they came, but they all had the weird white and black zebra stripe seats. Mm. Um, but they had the 2.6, so the big engine in the small chassis, mm-hmm. which you can also get the 2.6. The only way to get a 2.6 in a small Mitsubishi platform was the Fire Arrow, sorry, the Plymouth Arrow Fire Arrow, Yep. which came with the 2.6 and a bigger rear end, which all of the Colt guys covet for their cars because it's stronger and you can fit, uh, I think, a Starion limited slip into it. I so, think the center section, yeah. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> anyway, crazy, so, 
crazy right. Plymouth Chrysler Dodge Mitsubishi history. There. And that's been Dodge Colts with Brad. That's been stuff nobody cares about but Brad. But finally, he had a reason to talk about it. All right. So now we're into the 78 Colt, the blue Colt. Speaking of Colts, we worked on my Colt. Yes. Uh, we posted a bunch of pictures to the Facebook page yeah, and Instagram page. proud of how it came out. Um, so you probably all start. Um, what do we do to that? So I'm inspired by the... Were they B sedans from SECA? Yeah. Like the 510s, the was that Alphas. A, a three-box sedan? Yeah, but I'm inspired by like the B sedan, the B production sedans that they ran in, in Trans Am racing in the 70s. Um, Colts ran in those series, so they were they were out there. Um, they're just not as well-known that they were out there. But they uh, definitely were Colts in SECA racing. At they didn't know what this mean. So three-box design is a broad automotive styling term described as a coupe, sedan, notchback, or hatchback. Where, when viewed in profile, principal volumes are articulated into three separate compartments or boxes: mm-hmm. engine, passenger, and cargo. Mm-hmm. So yes, that is a three-box basic sedan. car design. Yep. But anyway, um, I like the old mid-seventies um, SCCA-style race car look, which Colts ran in tons of SCCA races in the seventies, and they were quite successful, much like they were in rally. Yep. Um, because of the drag racing, you could yes. buy all of fiberglass the fenders, fiberglass, fiberglass hoods, fiberglass door panels. Yep. That was the, that was fiberglass the, bumpers. That was the secret cheater stuff for rally because yeah. it was all homologated. Basically. Yep. You could buy your fiberglass parts from the Dodge dealer too, yes. which is crazy. Uh, but anyway, so, and then looking at some of our, the coverage from people we know on the West coast, um, in the past few weeks, they had, like, their uh, Coastal Range Rally, and all the guys are out there with 2002s, and they got the little thin bumpers and the spoilers and the lights, and it's like, man, I really want a car that looks just like that. And I've always had all these little plans in the back of my head for the Colt. Um, so we started doing it this weekend. We we're going to kind of transform that car around a little bit, make it look a little more, make it basically a cheap alternative to the more popular cars. Um Make it look a lot more sporty. Make it look a lot more like what the other cars were sold as. Um, so we decided we were going to... Well, first off, you gave me a set of really cool vintage yellow fog lights mm-hmm. uh, as the best man gift for your wedding. Yep. Which, thank you again. Um, those are amazing. I'm not sure what brand they are. They weren't branded. Halogen Power. Yes, but said in the lens. Um, in the back, the sticker was still there. It said Made in Japan. Yeah. And so they're, they're pretty legit. Like a chrome case and yep. then the lens actually had like a weird convex to it yep yeah it's a yellow um, it's a yellow glass lens they yeah. nice lenses yeah well one of them was cracked but whatever it fits, you can't even, you can't like even it tell just fit with the car i was yeah. like whatever doesn't matter that fits the patina dare i say it yeah no it does because the car is a little worn a little patinaed and the lights yeah. have some marks on them they're not perfect so it doesn't look like a brand new part on an old car it looks like it's been on the car for no and they actually once you polished them up yeah, they look really amazing. good. Yeah, they look really good in the car. Um, but because your thoughts and my thoughts about aesthetics are usually pretty close. Mm-hmm. Uh, but anyway, so we decided we want to put those in the car this weekend. But we've also always hated the front bumper and rear bumper of the Colt because it's a post-74, you know, five-mile-an-hour crash bumper, mm-hmm. which, unfortunately, the automakers didn't really have a handle on mm-hmm. in the mid-'70s. And they would take a beautiful car design, and they would just put these giant aluminum diving boards on them with these huge shock absorbers in order to make that five-mile-an-hour impact standard. So 
I mean, you look at your, like your 75 Camaros, like just, it's gross. You look at your 75, any car from 75 and it's got these huge bump, like Mercedes Benzes have this like, you know, you could eat, have a picnic on the, on the front bumper. Yeah. That's a whole thing. We could look into that when the, the crash standards came out. That was yeah. a whole, it's a whole styling thing. Yeah. Well, it was problem was the car was already styled. Yeah. And now they had to incorporate this five mile an hour crash bumper. It's like, bumper. um. So rather than re-engineer the whole entire car, they just stuck these big proboscises it's hanging like a, off the front yeah, of the car. Yeah. It's like a, a countage with U.S. bumpers. is Gross. Yeah. It's terrible. And even a lot of people switch Galant VR4s. They have ma- my under, my car. If you look at my yeah. car in person, it has massive like four inch bumpers on it. Yep, even Miatas. The back bumper of a Miata on a Japanese market Miata is sucked away and it's almost yeah. straight down from the taillights. It looks more US even more is. like a Lotus Salon. Yeah, where the US one is at this you know shelf. Yeah, and when you the JDM bumpers on the Galant do look better, but now I'm to the point. I'm at the point where so many people have JDM bumpers. Yeah, I'm like I kind of <laughs> like my US bumpers. Yeah, it's kind of weird. Like I'm yeah. weird. You're hipster about it. It's yeah, cool. so. JDM bumpers are cool before everybody else did it. Yeah. Now I want it to be uglier. And now you can't find nice U.S. bumpers because everybody or JDM cuts, bumpers cuts the front on them. Money. Yeah. So anyway, so yeah, and a lot of cars people change to European or Japanese market or whatever foreign market had smaller bumpers because the American bumpers are just they're mandated to be that big. They're not pretty. Um, so we had seen on a few other cars. I know a lot of E30 guys do it. A lot of mid 70s American car guys do it, where they tuck the bumper. Yep. Um, and basically what it means is you take that, there's usually a filler panel, fiberglass or sheet metal in between the bumper and the car. And they usually look tacked on. And they, and they always look tacked that well. on. Yep. And there's a big shock absorber that the bumper goes into. And then the shock absorber is actually designed to compress in an impact. So it does less damage at five miles an hour than if there was no shock absorber. To I compress. feel like that was insurance mandated. Whatever it was, it's some, some, some lobby somewhere. Stupid thing. Yeah, yeah. we'll have to look it up before we know for sure. Um, so bringing the bumper closer to the car obviously helps the lines of the car and brings the car closer to the true design that the designer originally intended of the car. Yeah, it's not smaller and thinner, but visually the car gets a lot smaller and thinner when the bumper comes in that much closer because it doesn't have all that wasted space that just shouldn't be there. So. The way you accomplish that on most cars from the 70s through the 80s mm-hmm. with aluminum bumpers on them is to compress those shock absorbers prematurely. So before the car gets in an impact, you press, yep. you get rid of that. You, you unbolt whatever fiberglass or sheet metal fill there is. And then literally we drilled a hole in the side of the shock absorber. A couple different theories on this. Uh, apparently some people wouldn't even drill them. They just put a pad and then push the car into a wall. Yeah, I wasn't going to do that. No. Yeah. <laughs> but we just drilled them so they the plate the oil and actually it wasn't really like it was a little bit of it was oil oil filled shock it and was then like, like almost like compressed styrofoam yeah it was weird yeah. it was super weird i expected to be i've drilled the shock mm-hmm. to purposely remove the fluid from it mm-hmm. and it explodes with fluid out of it. Well, I think the difference between a bumper like shock absorber and a, a suspension shock absorber yes, they're is... Yes, made to rebound. Yeah, they're made to go up and down routinely. Bumper shock absorbers don't. Yeah, these are a one-time thing. Yeah. You get in an accident, it smashes, it compresses, it's over with. So we drilled it so that it had a place to go, and then... We Which could... actually we put a video up on the Instagram yeah. page of that as well, and you can see all the white, chalky, styrofoamness coming yeah. out of it. And we couldn't get it to... We were pushing it, and you can see it was kind of squeezing out. 
by pushing on the bumper. So we it was so easy to unbolt the bumper. We just unbolted it. It's like four bolts. And, and it's then, a California car, so it was zero rust. Yeah, and then we were going to pull the whole absorber off and put it in a vise. And I was like, wait a minute, just hit it with a hammer. Yeah. So just hit it a bunch of times and eventually compressed. Yep. It was pretty simple, actually. Yeah. It's like, this is like the most satisfyingly easy, like, high-impact project ever. I'd never done it before, so yeah. I was like, ah, oh, this is pretty fun. Yeah, it looks it looks really good. Yeah. So, we compressed the bumper. Mm-hmm. We reinstalled the bumper onto the end of the mounts. Yep. Um, you lose the header panel. Correct. The header panel actually fills in the gap. When the bumper is sticking out four inches, there'd be a four-inch gap between the body of the car and, and the bumper. this is my favorite part because nobody noticed it. We went to Home Depot. This is the Home Depot mod part. Yes. <laughs> I We took um, the garage door edging. The garage door edging that you put in the bottom of the garage door. It's like two and a half inches deep. Yeah, probably like foam, a little more. Like a thick foam. And then we put double-sided tape on the inside of the chrome bumper. Mm-hmm. And then stuck the garage door edging to fill the gap that was left. Right. And it looks it looks so like a, OEM. It looks like a factory rubber seal. Yeah. Because it just goes underneath the grill you behind the bumper. You barely notice it. You see like a half an inch of it, but it looks factory. It probably blows in a little bit as you drive down the road and lets air through, which is fine. Yeah. And whatever. then when you stop, like the pictures that we put, you, you barely notice. You have to look for it. It's funny because I actually drove the car to work today. Yeah. Um, down um, Route 95, yeah. or for our California listeners, the 95, yeah. um, all the way to work, which is about you know, about 20 miles. Um, but I did about you know, 65, 70 miles an hour because I purposely wanted to see if the wind actually blew it in and if it made it like, stay in when I parked the car. And yeah. it doesn't. It looks, came back. It looks totally fine if it didn't yeah. blow in at all. So it looks really good. The stuff's pretty tough. I've, uh, I replaced one already on my garage door. And then it was still leaking, so I did another one. But it doesn't really like. Well, the, the best snow thing about it, is it was so. like twenty something feet for like fifteen dollars. So yeah, if it does wear out, it's, I'll put more on it's again later. Literally the same stuff that they sell on Amazon with the double sided tape already stuck to it to make a lip for your car. Right. So, but we didn't make a lip with it because that is really cheesy. No, but it fills the gap perfectly. Right. You don't see much of it, and what you do see, it just looks like a nice piece of factory yeah. filler. And I don't think it will discolor because it hasn't discolored in the bottom of my garage door. No, and if it does, it's $15 for 27 feet of it, so it's not a big deal. <laughs> we'll just replace it every season. I don't so care. So the next thing with that would be is apparently people use Mark 1 or Mark 2 Golf front lips. Uh, people use the Mark 1, Mark 2 Golf front, Mark 1 Golf or Rabbit front lips for like every car that's not a Rabbit or Golf um, because they're fairly universal. They have yep. this curve to them that matches pretty close to the yeah they're probably flexible the yeah they're fairly rigid yeah yeah they don't really flex very much oh okay um, but anyway so yeah that's the next step to the car to finish off the nose of the car the front lip I should put a uh, uh, back in the 70s they called it a spook that's probably not a good term now for I'm it. just saying what they called it in the <laughs> 70s they called it like BRE sold them for dots and 510s and they called it the BRE spook huh. that was a front spoiler so you're right. I, I will not use that in mixed company. <laughs> yeah. Nor will I say that without a long definition of why they call it yeah. that first. Yeah. But that was what it was called in the 70s. Okay. Um, so what I'll be the adding 70s? the BRE spoiler. Okay. BRE style spoiler. Yeah. Uh, and maybe another set of small round fog lights below the bumper in front of the spoiler. Yeah. Just to kind of complete that rally endurance racing look that a lot of cars would have had in the 70s. I really liked uh, how the low angle where I shot it. 
I really liked how it pulled the bumper close to that lower valance. So you can see the lower valance. And it really made it look more, it gave it that more Mark One, Mark Two Escort look. I don't know how to compare my car well, that to Mark short, I do Escort. Well, only because the Mark three boxed it in. It gave it that short bumper look. The Mark One and Mark Two Escort both lost to the Lancer in rallies all through Africa okay. and Australia. The Southern Cross Rally, the African Safari Rally. So I just want to, you know, I don't want to compare it to the inferior, the inferior but more yeah. expensive Escort. The, the ones that cost thirty grand plus. <laughs> yeah, that's. I actually I love Mark One and Mark Two Escorts. I'm just trying to make myself feel better about yep. Colt instead. Oh, yeah, if only you had a Cosworth, but a normally aspirated 4G63 mm, will kind of be the same. We'll see. Yeah, I think it's going to be it's going to be amazing. Anyway, so so the next the next visual modification for the car is that spoiler in the front. I want to do the same bumper tuck to the rear bumper, mm-hmm. lose that balance panel. Yep, um, I think that one will be easier because we thought of running the car bumperless entirely in the front, but what happened is we took the bumper off, gap. and there's nothing there. Did you take a picture with the bumper on it? No, I don't think I did. So the bottom of the fenders bolt to the valance panel, mm-hmm. and there's nothing in between the valance panel yeah. and the hood except for the plastic grill, it's, which would be like a floating plastic it's grill. It's not like point. an early chrome bumper type car right. where the chrome bumper is in front valance. of the, all the sheet metal. Yeah, there's yeah. Just no sheet metal there. Yeah. So like you see guys with like, you know, the TE27 Corollas. Yeah, or a 2002. Or a 2002. There's a lot of sheet metal there to hide the gaps, but there's just no sheet metal there. I would have had to have made... Something that goes beyond my skill to run the car bumperless. 2002 is definitely later 2002s with the five mile bumpers. Oof. It's terrible. Which is why people take them off and put yeah. earlier bumpers on, which yeah. is essentially what we did. We made the car look like it had an earlier bumper, brought it in closer to the body. I mean, it stuck out five or six inches it's before. It's not like those were going to do anything for you anyways. I mean, in today's modern traffic, no. if I get hit, I'm getting hit. Like, no. it doesn't and they were only five mile an hour things anyways. Yeah. So it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. Five mile an hour is more for me making a mistake. Yeah. So but it's like it doesn't it doesn't really matter at all. Otherwise, so, the however, um, what was the most modern car you've ever seen bumper shock absorbers on? My Talon has them. It, Does it? Yeah. Okay. Does it really? In the yep. front or back or both? Front definitely has them. Hmm. I didn't realize that. But the um, probably does too. You, you couldn't tuck them because the. Plastic bumpers, well, yeah, the plastic bumper. I'm just, yeah. I was just in my head after we did it. I was thinking about how old the technology was of bumper shock absorbers because you don't see them in cars anymore. Cars no, have crumple zones now. Yeah, it's a crumple. Yeah. The beam will crumple. Right, when the sheet metal will crumple. Uh, rail will I believe crumple. the rear is solid mounted on the talon, but the front it is. definitely had them. The front of the Galant does not have them. Anyway, the newest I can think of, probably because the car is very old technology, is like an 05 Crown Vic. They still have them. And Ford Taurus has had them up until the round ones went away. Yeah, because a lot of new modern cars just have foam and then the steel bumper, and the foam is your five mile an hour. Five mile an hour. Yeah. Because the urethane bumper will pop back. But Unless it's cold out and you live in New England. And yeah, it just cracks. Yeah. <laughs> but the fog lights, the bulbs worked. We just needed to mess with the ground yeah, we on one no of idea them. how old they actually are. The bulbs look pretty new. Yeah. And I tested them. They had good continuity, and then one wouldn't work, but... Troubleshooted a little bit. It was just the ground. Mm-hmm. Cleaned up the grounds. So they grounded through the bumper. Yeah, the bottom of the bumper had a lot of rust on it because it's a non-coated metal on the inside. Yeah. So it just we had to sand it down to bare metal. Then I set up a harness. It's just a basic. If you've installed Hella 500s, it's the same exact style harness. It's just a fog light harness or a normal relay. You can look up online Powered relay, the, the wire diagram with the relay and everything. 
And actually, my dad gave us a good little tip here. He, he, we set up the switch. So the switch is not powered off ignition. The switch is actually powered off. It On the relay, we switch to the ground. So when you flip the switch, you're completing the ground circuit, mm-hmm. and that's what's triggering the relay to mm-hmm. turn the lights on. So he made a good point that the wire going from the engine compartment to the interior is a ground wire. It does not have power. It doesn't carry power. So the no worst fire risk. Yeah, the worst case that happens if it gets cut, it it grounds and turns the lights on. Yeah. And the battery dies. And, yeah. But yeah, that's a much better way to do it than running a power. Especially line. in an older car. Yeah. And you'll just have to remember, you're a pro user. You just turn them off. Yes, they're not wired to a switch. Unfortunately, no, they're I mean, not they're wired to a switch. But they're not wired to keyed. Power. They're not wired to keyed ignition power. Yeah, there's wired. Power, yeah, which is fine. I don't yeah. care. I mean, I'm so in love with the way the front of the car came out that every time I park it, I'm going to turn around and look at it anyway. There you go. So, which I do anyway. And it's not like the car even has a buzzer for the marker lights or headlights. So, if I leave lights on, I leave lights on. You know, that's what it is. All right. So anyway, a um, couple extra things for project cars. I got the Subaru Summer Tires. I'm going to put on. Uh, do an oil change this week, and that's about it. Um, I think we're all set with projects updates. Cleaning and detailing is going to come up, too. Yeah. But that's just because it hasn't been warm out yet because, you know, we've managed to not talk about weather because it's been halfway decent. But yeah. it was still 26 degrees. They said degrees the news today it was like 4 degrees colder or 5 degrees colder at the start of this month. But whatever. We're getting there. Yeah. The well, it, was, it was 26 degrees this morning. So yeah. the if end, there was any precipitation in the air, it would have been snow. This The end of this – well, there was some snow when I got to work. Like, I'd see little crystals. Oh, really? But barely. But anyways – End of this week's going to be 60. That's all we care about. We're doing car stuff now. No more weather talk. We don't care. Yep. You had some uh, scale project car updates, though? Uh, no real updates. Anything I've done. I'm just super excited because the brand I've been, like, talking about so much lately, the 164th, which, again, is about Hot Wheels car size. Yep. Um, I have all those Evo 10s and the BMW E30 race cars uh, and the Skyline. I think I took pictures of last week. Um, they're coming out with an Evo 6.5. Ooh. Yeah, it's really sweet. It's my favorite. So, so far, they've only released one livery they're going to have it in, which is not the Tommy Mackinnon edition, which you would think it would be. It's actually a Puma sneakers race car from, I think, the Japanese the JGTC series. I think Puma was big with... Big Mitsubishi sponsor. Which is weird because they're, one of their big headquarters is here in Massachusetts. Puma's is? Yeah, like oh. right near my... Like a mile from my work is I like not know that. Puma headquarters like you at... Like, I did not know that. Yeah. Well, anyway, so they're coming out with a white Evo 6.5 with the Puma livery on it. Fun fact, I have Puma work shoes with a composite toe, like a safety shoe. Oh, they're Pumas, really? Yeah. (laughs) Super comfortable. Did not know that. Yep. I should actually invest in some steel-toed shoes for work because I also work in an industry where I'm supposed to wear them. Yeah. Well, these are composite, and they look like sneakers. They're not boots. I don't like steel-toed boots. I just don't like the way they look. Sorry. Style. I don't know. I don't have much style, but I don't like steel-toed boots. Whatever. But they look like sneakers, so they're comfortable. But anyways. Our only style involves cars. Yeah. We don't have any fashion sense. So anyways, uh, yeah, the Tarmac Works Evo looks pretty sweet. Oh, yeah. When I buy one, I'll let you know, and we'll buy a couple of them so you can have one, too. And then you sent me – there was – who made the um, first-gen – Talon or the first gen Eclipse uh, High Story? High Story because you sent me they made a Well they do vintage cars. So they made a cross track in the cool gray khaki like Stephanie's car. Yes, they did. And it's a little pricey, but I'm like it's, really tempted because it's limited release. It's a limited release, it's a handmade resin. Um all of their cars and go I, up in value, believe it or yeah, not. Yeah, and, and I've never seen right one. Yeah, what's the 
is the Eclipse like we paid like a hundred bucks for that. No, we paid sixty five dollars for it. Did we? Yeah. All right. <laughs> um, only because I bought them on a pre sale at Hobby Link Japan. But they're well over a hundred now. Aren't they're they? almost two hundred dollars. Nice. Yeah. So that's almost not that I buy these for investment, but no, because you're not going to sell it. No. But I actually have a second white one because I ordered it, and then Hobby Link Japan canceled half my order because they weren't getting enough. Uh, so I ordered another one from somewhere on eBay, and I paid like eighty dollars for it. Yeah. And then Hubbly Japan was like, hey, you wanted this, and you had promised to pay for it, and now we have it available. So I had to buy it. Oh. <laughs> so now I have two of them. So I could technically sell one, but I have one in storage. I don't know. And put eBay. No. What I probably want to doing is if I ever have a better office, I'll leave one in my house and one in the office. That's ah, really cool. Okay. And I just, I don't know. I have a backup in case something happens to it. <laughs> okay. Anyway, it's, it's one. You always need two DSMs in case one breaks. <laughs> right. Anyway, it's one forty third scale resin cast. It's not a die cast, but it comes with a little display. No, it's cube. super, super, super nice. Yeah, no opening parts or anything, which is the rub that a lot of collectors have with die casts versus resin casts. Yes, but in one forty third, it's not as big of a deal. Like, because they do a lot of one eighteenth resin stuff now, and the one eighteenth collectors want the opening hoods and doors and stuff. Which they never looked good. Right. With the, the stupid the, big hinges, the they don't look ones, right. The new ones look better. Do they? They do look a lot better. I will give it that. I have. Have you seen my my '69 Camaro race car? No, because even the like Franklin Mint ones from 20 years ago yeah, did look 20 years good. ago. Those are cheesy. Um, but I have a couple now. Next time you're at my house, I'll show them to you. I have a '69 Camaro race car by an Australian company whose name is escaping me right now, and I have a '68 Dodge Dart um, by Highway 61. And they have very prototypical door hinges, and they work like real doors. Like, the door opens into the fender. Oh. Versus, like, on the old diecast, it was this big arm, and the door swung out away from the fender. Ah. Um, and actually, the Highway 61 Dart has hinges that are scissor hinges like a real car. Oh. the hood. It looks really nice. Cool. Yeah. But, again, it's like a $150 car, which I, I stole it for $20. But Jesus. Yeah, it was that he used diecast. Nice sale, yeah. That's the reason I own it. <laughs> All right. Well, anyways, I think we'll call that episode. All right, excellent. You can follow us on Odd Off Topic Podcast on Facebook, Odd Off Topic on Instagram. You can see pictures of the cult. Yes. Uh, if you don't already follow us, you can see it on my Instagram, Race and Anger. Uh, and so the only thing I take pictures of right now, so you'll see it yeah. on my Instagram, TSISS350. If- Soon to be changed, by the way. I'm working on that. All right. I'm going to change right. it. I got to change it. If you, crap, uh, <laughs> um, so if you follow us on, uh, I, I don't know if it's called Apple podcast now or if it's still iTunes, whatever you can leave a review for us. Well, they're going to be great selling music. Did you hear that? Did they? They're going to like in the next six months or so. Really? Well, I guess little end of this end of episode tangent, I guess the, this month is the first month that. I feel like I heard this on another podcast about cars, so if I talk about it, I don't want to repeat it, but if I did, I think it was on DWA, um, they were talking about how it's the first month that, maybe it wasn't even them, maybe it was some, I I heard it on some podcast, it was the first month that CD sales have passed digital sales. What? For the first time since like 2011. What? Because nobody's buying digital music anymore. Why? Because they're just using Spotify or Apple Play or Google Play. Oh, premium just streaming and just streaming it and not actually purchasing ah, the song, purchasing but, the music. Yeah. But some people still like to have the physical copy with the artwork of a CD. Oh. So people are still buying CDs and vinyl, 
but they're not buying digital downloads. Oh. Sorry. Right. Weird little Makes fun sense. fact. Yeah. Makes sense. Okay. All right. Oh, I, I either heard that on TWA. Oh, you know, my brother, my brother, and me, one or the other. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> all right. Before we go, I had, I believe I forgot this last week. I had a question for you is why, because I drove a Renault in Europe and there were so many Renaults over there. Mm-hmm. And I was curious, so why do they all have elf stickers on the back? Yeah, because it's the official it's, lubricant. And it's not like an actual sticker of an elf. Oh, it's, it's elf, elf, elf lubricants. Because we don't have that here. Yeah. And, um, I think, um, well, that was their sponsor back in the day. You look yeah. at all the blue racing Renaults, the, the, um, makes sense now. Gordini cars and all those things. They all had Alf sponsorship. So, but it's the, it's just like, you know, BMW runs mobile one stickers on their oil caps. Cause so, yeah, that's why. Well, anyway, if you follow us on Apple iTunes or Apple podcasts, whatever the hell it is now, yep. please leave us a review. I sent out uh, like three sets of stickers for people that I'd kind of forgotten about. We're sorry, we got busy. Nine over... apps, three got stickers. No, I think <laughs> I, I think I caught everyone. I have one more to send out. We just it was like stuff that got before Christmas yep. and like all the, the rush and there was stuff going on. Whatever. I sent out. I uh, I was like, oh, I got to go to the post office anyways to mail out our taxes after we sign the stuff. I was like, oh, I better. I can box up or not box up, but I can uh, throw a couple stickers in some envelopes and I might as well mail them out while I'm going to the post office. So mm-hmm. um, people who ask for some stickers, you should be getting some soon. Uh, if you do want stickers, please message us and we'd appreciate it if you leave a uh, review somewhere, on yeah. somewhere, either on iTunes or if you use Google Play, leave a review there, please. Yep, that'd or if you put the sticker on something, take a picture of it, and put it on yeah, Instagram. Yeah, that'd be Facebook awesome. And tag and, us. We yeah, love that. Cool too. Yeah. Um, so, as always, keep your guards analog and aim for the roses.